Chuck and Julie, bringing you the truth straight up. I'm Julie Hayden. I'm working at- An Emmy-winning former investigative reporter, a highly successful trial attorney, and publisher of a major Denver area newspaper. They've been partners as talk show hosts and in marriage as parents for over 10 years, providing thought-provoking information, opinion, and entertainment live, local, and interactive. Everyone's voice is always welcome on the Chuck and Julie Show. Well, happy Wednesday, everybody. Chuck Miles, Julie Hayden, Truth Straight Up, brought to you by... By AmericaCitizenPress.com and Denver Cynogenics and Dr. Julie McCallan. Hey, we're going to have Brian McGlinchey joining us here in a second as soon as Thomas gets him on the phone. You may remember him if you've listened to our show for a while. He was initially involved in the 28pages.org. That was um, an organization um, that was uh, pushing to get the release of information that the government under Bush and every other president really was trying to keep secret about potential ties ties between the Saudi government and the attacks on 9-11. That has been released, but there are thousands and thousands of pages out there from the FBI investigation, the Joint Terrorism Task Force, still under seal and are slowly but surely being released. Um, And so there has been a new, I guess you would call it document dump, with some pretty interesting information. Of course, mainstream media, I guess we like Saudi Arabia now. Sometimes we like them, sometimes we don't. It's hard to tell. Um, but but right now, there are not very many organizations looking into this. So thank goodness for Brian McGlinchey. Other than the PGA Tour. Uh, yeah, other than the PGA Tour, exactly. So we have him with us on the phone. Hey, Brian, thank you for your time this afternoon. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be with you. Yeah. So I see you have a new, and I love it because I subscribe to it, and I recommend everyone else does too, on Substack, Stark Realities, where you you link all of these documents. But bottom line, as I was explaining, there has been a new document dump, basically, where the FBI, whoopsie, forgot to redact the name of... Well, I'm just forgot to <laughs> forgot to redact the name of one of the employees, and there's some interesting ties there. So why don't you yeah, explain that? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was an enormous document dump over uh, several months. Uh, it's pursuant to an executive order that uh, President Biden signed last September. Um, before you give him too much credit for do that, he, he really did it under severe pressure from 9-11 families and survivors uh, who have been waiting decades now, literally. You know, we're going on 21 years now uh, to get the full answers about Saudi government links to these attacks. Uh, they threatened... Uh, in uh, late August, early September, uh, that if he didn't uh, start releasing material, that they were going to make their displeasure abundantly known and protest his uh, presence at 9-11 memorial events. So uh, (laughs) imagine for a politician. Bad bad optics (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't imagine a uh, worse humiliation, I guess, (laughs) in that circumstance. Um, so he did sign an executive order, and it, re- it resulted in uh, more than 900 documents, over 4,000 pages, um, a lot of uh, late evenings for me pouring through all that material yeah. on behalf of your listeners, <laughs> so they don't have to. Um, and really, what this all ties back to is, um, in, the, in the wake of the 9-11 attacks, um, it became known that there was some very interesting and troubling activity in Southern California and relating to the, uh, the consulate, the Saudi Arabian uh, consulate in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, the, the first two hijackers to arrive 
in the United States um, were Khalid Al-Midar and Nawaf Al-Hazmi. And uh, they arrived in Los Angeles. These are two men who spoke hardly any English. Um, these aren't these weren't particularly bright individuals. These were muscle hijackers that, on the uh, Flight 77 that crashed into the Pentagon. Um, you can imagine if you know you were just plopped down in a foreign country ahead of pulling off a you know dreadful but you know complex in some ways attack. Um, you, you and you didn't speak the native tongue. You know you weren't acculturated. You, your way around. Um, you can yeah. imagine that you would need some kind of local support network. Um, and it appears that they did have a local support network, and there's just many the indications keep stacking up that um, the uh, officials at, at the uh, Saudi consulate um, facilitate that. And uh, one character who emerged early on of great interest was a man named Omar al-Bayoumi. Okay. And he lived in San Diego. Um, he, had a, he was a Saudi Arabian. He had a no-show job with a uh, Saudi aviation company, a ghost, you know, like uh, think about the, the Sopranos their, or something. Right, yeah, right. He was uh, sort of on their books but, but didn't actually work there, right? Exactly. So that's eyebrow-raising in itself. Um, one day, he travels from San Diego to Los Angeles, stops at the consulate in Los Angeles, um, ostensibly to renew his visa, he has a private meeting with somebody there, and then he goes from there, uh, he went to a, a nearby mosque, and then went to a restaurant where he just happened <laughs> to encounter the two hijackers. Uh, as one he, does. He says, <laughs> it was, it was, he said it was coincidental that he heard them speaking in a Gulf accent and that he just struck up a conversation and then invited him to move the, them to move to San Diego. There you go. There you go. What a guy. <laughs> Sounds credible. He, he uh, being sarcastic, he, uh, he, uh, so a few days later, off they go to San Diego. He moved them into his own, the same apartment complex where he lived. He facilitated their uh, initial uh, rent payment. Um, he, you know, told the uh, uh, apartment complex, you know, I'll back them up if there's anything that, you know, happens, you know, I'll take right. care of it, that kind of thing. Um, helped uh, helped him you know get started and oriented driver's license and it assigned other people to help him help the, help these guys get around town and all that type of thing. Um, so that has always been uh, kind of a linchpin um, in this investigation. Is who is this guy? It look, it look, he sure sounds like he might be a Saudi intelligence asset or something if he's got this no-show job in Southern California. Right. A lot of people in the community suspected, and the uh, Saudi community in Southern California even thought that he was a Saudi intelligence asset. He was known for going around videotaping all these people while they're hanging out and that type of thing. Um, so a lot of scrutiny was on who it, well, it goes back to his visit at the Saudi consulate in Los Angeles that preceded that encounter okay. with the hijackers. And this yeah, is where a uh, name right? was let slip right. in this giant pile of documents. Um, and the name is uh, Mana, okay. M-A-N-A, um, and Ismail or Smail Mana. And 
Yeah, like I said, I was, I was pouring through documents after documents over and over again. There's a lot of repetition where you know, these, right. these are FBI memorandums, so you're seeing a lot of times copy and paste of material that they've already learned being put into a new one over and over. And then um, at one point I noticed they were this, this a paragraph where you know, the beginning of it's redacted where they say the person's name, but then they say uh, FBI Los Angeles confirmed Mana's current residence. Uh. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> and then I found another paragraph, you know, where I said uh, that they repeated a lot where they didn't miss it, you know, where it's redacted in that same instance. Right. So it was clearly an accidental disclosure by the FBI uh, of this, this individual's name. And so this Mana is... Uh, uh, the person the FBI concluded that Bayumi met with at the L.A. consulate. And he's, uh, you know, they identify him as uh, somebody who is known to have extremist views. Okay. Well, let me, I have like about a million questions. So one, yeah. to, to, so, so bottom line, what this is, is it, it is linking through the, the uh, inadvertent re- revelations of the names. It essentially links people in the Saudi consulate, employees in, in the Saudi consulate, two people who were connected with the hijackers. So let's clarify for folks, if you work in the Saudi consulate, what's your connection to the government? I mean, are you a government employee? Are you a contractor? I mean, what's the, and, and I would assume that, that you're a trusted, you know what I mean? You're not uh, just some guy who happened to wander in and say, I want a job here, right? Right. You'd think that they'd uh, vet them pretty carefully. Um, yeah, to my understanding, everybody is a, uh, an employee of the government of Saudi Arabia. Now, not all of them um, uh, are people who, like, flew from Saudi Arabia to take this job and, you know, and then go back right. home. Some of them, you know, the, these will sometimes uh, do local hires, and I believe, uh, from my parsing of the language and these memoranda, I, I believe Mana was a, a local hire to that concept. But you're right, it's not... The Saudi Arabian government takes its reputation extremely seriously. I mean, I mean any government does, but Saudi Arabia goes next level. Uh, that's one reason why they've got uh, people on their embassy staffs who their job is, uh, perhaps like part of Omar al-Bayoumi's job, is to monitor Saudi citizens in the United right. States and keep an eye on them. So, and that leads into my second question there. What are the odds of this Saudi embassy uh, a consulate employee going rogue and just connecting with people with the hijackers, the 9-11 hijackers, and nobody else knew about it. He just went like rogue, so that to speak. You, that would get you killed. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really, a, I don't think the odds was that it was him, him alone rogue, no way. Because um, it's clear from the documents that uh, it, what we're looking at is a web that goes back from the L.A. consulate to the Saudi embassy in Washington, D.C. Wow. Um, because in addition to uh, this uh, Smail Mana, who the FBI, you know, believe, had that meeting with, with uh, al-Bayoumi, uh, another employee there is Fahad al-Thumari. Um, you know, he was also considered to be a, a radical individual. Another one is Mohammed Muhana in the L.A. consulate. And Thumari and Muhana... Um, essentially reported to a man named Musaid al-Jara, uh, who was then director of Islamic affairs at the Saudi embassy in Washington, D.C. And okay. it's not included in my article in any length. I linked to a great article by Dan Christensen at the Florida Bulldog on this, on al-Jara. Um, it, it's hard to write these articles and keep them to a, a reasonable length right. because the web 
and the complexity of it, and then the cast of characters is so vast. Um, but uh, uh, a 2003 FBI report uh, referring to this Jara back at the Saudi embassy in Washington called him, uh, quote, a controlling, guiding, and directing influence on all aspects of Sunni extremist activity in Southern California and has been directing, controlling, and funding al-Muhana and al-Thumari since their arrival in the U.S. Uh, It also talks about how they were... uh, One of his roles was selecting which clerics from Saudi Arabia would come over and be assigned to various mosques within the United States. And uh, this memorandum talks about uh, that he was purposefully selecting Salafi extremists to be assigned in the United States. Why? And, Why don't you talk getting, about and getting back to something you said at the outset, you are not hearing about this in the major media. No. no. Could you explain for people, because um, it's always a fluid situation, the, mm-hmm. the um, interconnection between the Saudi government and the clerics in Saudi Arabia, which includes lots of the extremists, but they're also... They're both backers of them, and they are feared enemies of them, and how all that work plays in. I mean, the, the relationship between the Saudi royals and the uh, extremists like al-Qaeda and so forth? Well, to, it, just the clerics themselves. Um, you know, they're, they're government-funded, but they also okay, have yeah, the started yeah. revolutions and everything else. So they're, they're sort of frenemies in a lot of ways, as I understand it. Well, yeah, the, the, uh, the Saudi government spends untold amounts of its wealth, um, basically proselytizing and exporting uh, the you know, Salafist uh, interpretation of Islam all around the world, um, the United, all across the United States, Pakistan, Afghanistan, all over. Um, and you do have a sort of a, a major tension between the Saudi royal family and the uh, you know, the, the Salafists. If Salafism is a, you know, a pure form, uh, what do I want to say? It's, it's a form of Islam that's very much based on self-denial, living simply, and so forth. Think of uh, okay. uh, Osama bin Laden in a cave. Um, okay. he, he was known to just go out in the desert, you know, even before all of 9-11, and just live out there as a, you know, personal hardship and enduring something, going without water. You know, this, uh, what I want to contrast that with is what is your image of the Saudi royalty? Yeah. <laughs> Not similar. that. Well, here's right, it, it's, it's the opposite. It's, it's, it's golden toilet seats and right. mega yachts and that type of thing. And so you've, you've had this, the, the Saudi royals um, are essentially able to stay in power and be tolerated in that environment, because the clerics are very, very powerful. You know, and when Saudi Arabia was founded, it was, you know, through an agreement with, with the, the religious aspect of the country. And so one way that they, those people to overlook all their lavish lifestyle and so forth is by spending all this money to export that philosophy around the world. Sort of, yeah. Sort of like the Catholic, the old Catholic tradition of indulgences, I guess. <laughs> well, here's so for folks who've just joined us, we're talking with Brian McGlinchey. Um, um, he has got a great, um, uh, I guess, uh, postings on uh, Substack at Stark Realities. But so what? So what these newest documents show is is a link between um, 
Saudi government employees at the consulate in L.A., and people who are connected with the 9-11 hijackers. And what happened is, is the FBI accidentally failed to redact their name. My big question is, why is the FBI redacting their names in the first place? What does the FBI, well, I know why they care, but I want you to talk about this. Why is the FBI trying to keep this information hidden for all of these years? Well, I mean, the, the reason attributed where, where it is properly redacted is, you know, under the Privacy Act, um, uh, that I can't, yeah, that, reason I won't you know, try to justify. What, what's really unjustifiable is the fact that for decades now, they've been keeping this material under wraps. Um, right. And Why is that, think do you it, think? Yeah. I think it goes back to this um, toxic relationship that we have with Saudi Arabia that continues, even, even as the United States grows increasingly energy independent, or if we can dependent. harness the resources that we have here. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, We've got this uh, this dynamic where administration after administration, um, it's this uh, deference and this uh, overarching drive to preserve good relations between the Saudi government and the United States government. You, you, you'll have uh, presidential candidates talk very sternly about Saudi Arabia, and then the next thing you know, they're not. I mean, uh, when they get into office, and it's another another uh, story. Uh, right. great example of that is Donald Trump during his campaign. Uh, you know, back when we first were acquainted, uh, Chuck and Julie, I was, uh, uh-huh. I had a project called 28pages.org, right. which was pushing for the declassification of 28 pages on these Saudi government links uh, to the 9-11 attacks. While he was a candidate, he was speaking, and you could imagine my excitement when he said, you know, we shouldn't have invaded Iraq um, for 9-11, what a total mistake that was. And then he said, um, it might be Saudi Arabia that knocked those towers down. He goes, there, there's some secret pages, you know, we're going to find out what's in there. So I was obviously enthused by that <laughs> attention to the issue. Fast forward you know, to his inauguration, and then he makes his, there's been a longstanding tradition that your first state visit abroad is, as a president is either to Mexico or Canada, and he chooses Saudi Arabia. I mean, it's just huh. one more example of how it's relentless. So much, so much for that. Yeah. Well, what about yeah. how does all, how does all of this tie in? Because I know the families of the, of the nine eleven victims are the ones who continue to push for all of this, as well, as, well as people they, like they, you. They wanted the ability to sue the right. government of Saudi Arabia to. Compensated for losses in 9-11. And how does all of let, this, let how, well, I'm asking, how does that, all of this help their case? Yeah, I think it helps it enormously. Um, yeah, it's been a long road for those, those uh, families and survivors uh, and, in, and their insur- insurance companies also have an enormous stake. Can you imagine the insurance company? They're also parties to the lawsuit. So there's a civil suit, a massive, enormously complex uh, suit um, in the uh, Southern District of New York, uh, uh, where you know thousands and thousands of plaintiffs, all these family members and so forth, um, suing the government of Saudi Arabia. Um, a lot of so these documents are enormously useful to that. Um, the uh, a lot of these things that are redacted, they're redacted publicly. The the lawyers inside the case, a lot of these documents they've got completely okay, you know, intact. And so, uh, but then they're then sworn uh, to keep, you know, the secret and confidential under court order. Um, So I think it's uh, very significant. And especially um, this last year, the revelation of that name of that individual in Washington, D.C. 
because now we see ever so more that, getting back to your question, hey, was this just a rogue, somebody going rogue right. in the Saudi consulate? Was it one person or maybe one or two? But now you know, the more you look, the right. more this web keeps growing. And with this latest uh, document dump, um, back when the 9-11 Commission looked at Omar al-Bayoumi and his shepherding of these uh, two hijackers in uh, San Diego, the obvious question is, hey, was, is this guy a Saudi intelligence operative? They said, well, we, you know, we, they basically didn't con- conclude that they could not confirm that. Well, now these documents come out, and later on in the investigation, which continued after the 9-11 Commission, um, you see the FBI here uh, without any vagueness saying that they confirmed he was indeed a uh, operative for the Saudi intelligence. Well, and going back to something that I said, and then you touched on too, the fact that you're not hearing about this anywhere. So let's look at how the corporate media like had total freakouts and meltdowns when that so-called Saudi journalist was killed by the Saudi government, right? One guy, right? Right. Kishogi. And now all of a sudden you've got hundreds and hundreds of people killed. And I mean, there's considerable more evidence here that the Saudi government was involved initially than it, there was initially in the Kishogi thing. And, and not n- nothing. Zippo. You'd think that the mainstream media would be like, hey, this is important stuff. Right. We hate Saudi Arabia. Right. Um, look what we did to that journalist. I mean, why is that? Why is why is there crickets on this issue? We've just evolved to a point, and I guess it's been, a, to this extent, a long way, but it's been getting worse and worse, in that the major corporate media of the United States is effectively an extension of the government. Uh-huh. Um, they, they take government statements, uh, whether it's about uh, Ukraine, Syria, Afghanistan, they just take them at face value, and they act as not journalists questioning and asking hard questions to power, but uh, basically just being stenographers who just <laughs> uh, right. you know, cite government sources as, as, uh, as credible no matter what. And, and it's even worse because now if you look at the major TV networks, who do they have on their panels when they seek oh. expertise? It's, you know, you've got, uh, like, yeah. for example, Clapper, the former... Right. Uh, you know, right. you've, they're all on the payroll at these networks now. So, I mean, back in, let's say, the 60s and 70s, the CIA would influence the media by cozying up with reporters and that kind of thing. Well, you know, this is beyond their dreams back then. To, oh, you're, <laughs> you're in a suit and tie and being paid <laughs> to have your guys on the network <laughs> and then that's, speaking. That's so crazy. It's, a really, it's really troubling. That's why uh, independent journalism, you know, I think, is so important um, and why uh, – We've got to do everything we can to support them, and I think, and 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 their voice, which is another dynamic, is the stifling of independent journalism by the the uh, social media. Well, yeah, the Ministry outlet. of Truth that we have now too, right? Where oh, what it, what yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nina Jankowicz says that people like her should be able to respond to people's tweets and put it in context, like mm. on Wikipedia. It's like, oh, that's she's the Hunter Biden laptop person, all that kind of stuff. Well, Brian, this right. has just been interesting, and I appreciate you letting me know. We've got to let you go now, but where can because as you said, independent journalism is just so important, and that's but what I you have do. One, one, oh, point, one, more, one okay. over, uh, overarching question. What do you believe the Saudis' role was? You think they planned, helped it, anticipated, wanted it to happen, or they're inadvertently were kind of closing up to extremists, and then this just blew up in their face? 
You know, I really don't know the answer okay. to that. I think um, there's, a, there's a history and a pattern, and you know, it's known that uh, the Saudi government, the Saudi royal family, um, has f- financed extremism and terrorism around the world. Um, to what extent this was conscious of uh, who... who Intend, who is doing that and who is helping these people? I've, right. And I'm so glad you asked one more question because one more important point to be made as we okay. connect this web back to Washington, D.C., is that um, the web goes back to Prince Bandar, the Saudi ambassador to the United sure. States, who was sending money to an extremist in Southern California who was also associated with this group um, uh, and to Bayoumi, um, and that Bayoumi was... Uh, sharing intelligence information you know, back and forth with reporting to Bondar. Um, wow. And so was Bondar playing a double game here where they're monitoring the terrorists and funding them because he wants to stay on the good side of those extreme elements who might otherwise overthrow the, the Saudi royals? Oh um, right. That's a question. But I mean, the, the, the most benevolent explanation you could come up with now is that there was a major thread of uh, extremists inside the Saudi diplomatic corps um, mm. and that they helped facilitate uh, 9-11. Um, that's, all, that's pretty much the most generous explanation, I think, at this point. You know, as, the, as this web of names gets bigger and the right. uh, information we know about the characters uh, gets wider. Wow. Well, where can Brian, because I know you write on this and all kinds of other things, too, as I said, independent journalism. Um, where can people find you and read you and subscribe to you, as I have? Yes. Yes, please uh, just come to starkrealities.substack.com. That's starkrealities, plural, .substack.com. Uh, you can sign up for free. Um, you can become a, a supporting subscriber if you, you know, like the work and think it has value. Um, but I'm happy to have you surfing along for free with me and uh, sharing those articles with your friends and so forth. So um, well, I wouldn't, I want, I'm not even going to bother sharing my social media because uh, I, pending the return of Elon Musk at this point, yeah. it's almost, <laughs> you won't see what I post there. Absolutely and, and that's the whole beauty. That's the whole beauty of the Substack model is you sign yes. up, you get the email directly and you don't have to rely on the thought police to grant permission. Exactly. All right. Go. Well, Brian, thank you for your time. Thanks, thank Brian. you for the work that you do. I sure appreciate it. Thank you. Great to be with you too. All right, okay, thank you. Brian McGlinchey there, starkrealities.substack.com. Hey, and this is a good point to remind people, we are also on Substack. It's yeah. Chuck and Julie's show on Substack. Would love to have you listen. We can You can listen to the episodes there. The, it's the podcast. We put it up there. Um, also, like Brian, it's free. Um, and you can subscribe and get an email or not. You can just go there too. And I like Substack. I think it's going to be a growing, yes. a growing kind of thing. Um, are, and yeah. you know what I like about it? There's all kinds of stuff on there, right? right. It's not, People go, oh, it's become the new conservative thing. No, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff on mm-hmm. there too. So um, if you haven't checked that out, it's a great resource. Um, so you want, you want to talk, you watched 2000 Mules. I did. I did this morning. Um, and I thought it was wonderful. And it, it uh, what it basically does, it sets out a premise um, that using cell phone geofencing, you know, geofencing that they proved that 2000 individuals acted, well, they didn't prove it, appear to have uh, acted as mules. Uh, they do that by showing they went over dozen times, some cases, um, from nonprofits over to... Uh, Government-funded nonprofits. Sometimes, sometimes not. They're not... Okay. Not oh, they're not, oh, they're not clear. Okay. Um, and, and then over to the uh, ballot boxes. Then they show films of uh, mules shoving ballots into the ones 
Um, and these are all states where you can't take any more than yourself and your and your uh, family. In some cases, not even family, it just has to be yourself. Um, and then they go into also the old age home one. They show some comatose looking people who voted <laughs> and, and how they did it and how they get uh, activists in the communities. And sometimes they're simply paid to help get out the vote for the old people. Um, and so it's very effective. Um, like anything, you know, you always want to see, okay, what's the other side? Being a trial lawyer, you can listen to one side. And you're like, guilty. You really guilty uh-huh. And then uh-huh. you listen to the other side go away. Maybe it's not all that easy. So there have been a series of articles. Fact-checking. Fact-checking. One was in the Denver Post the other day by AP, and this is at the end of of the thing. This is part of AP's effort to address widely shared misinformation, (laughs) including work with outside companies and organizations to add factual context to misleading content that is circulating online. Learn more about fact-checking at AP. <laughs> fact-checking. All of those other organizations, by the way, are like Soros-funded. Yes, you know, yes, yeah. Well, yeah. So as I understand it, basically, the AP fact-check was like, oh, geofencing or geofencing actually doesn't work, even though they all talked about how wonderful it worked during the January 6th thing, right? That's what the FBI used there. So, I, And their, their, their re, the response is, well, it could have just been coincidence that the people were going at least 10 times to drop boxes, in putting ballots in them with gloves on and going to NGOs, non-government organizations, that could just be coincidence. Right. Never mind the fact that it's illegal to be putting the ballot, you know, more than one. There's videotape, surveillance tape of the, of the people, the mules, putting more than one ballot in, right? And, and then they go into, which I thought was very helpful, how do you, how do they get these ballots? And they go right. by those states who just send out ballots to anyone. Well, mail ballots. Well, not all states send them out. Some, right. some, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, various other ways of just, in fact, manufacturing ballots of people who haven't voted in 10 years and all the way through. I mean, yeah, um, numerous ways. Numerous ways. Uh, but there was also another one done by the Atlanta Constitutional Journal, uh, which basically similarly said, well, you can't prove they, they did this. And, of course, that was reprinted in the Denver Gazette. Now, the Denver Gazette, if you don't know, is, is Phil Anschutz's newspaper, which is supposed to give you some context. Conservative. Say, conservative context. It is no more, con- it is the Denver Post. I mean, it is, if you're listening to Denver Gazette, you're listening to Denver Well, and then Post. a couple of things that I want to get to, because what we were talking about earlier um, before the show, and uh, Dr. Donna is saying, um, in Colorado, I believe a person can bring 10. Is that a day or is that total? I think total. that's total, Don. Yeah. Uh, of course, try to get that prosecuted. And then Leo says, always put aluminum foil over your phone for no geofencing. <laughs> that's true. So, well, yeah, that's a whole other show, right? What they're doing with it. So we, Chuck and I were talking, like, why is it? Because the truth of vote people said, well, they took this information to the Republican Party. They took it to Republican attorneys and pr- Republican prosecutors or Republican attorneys general and DAs and stuff. And everybody said, la, 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 busy, busy, call us, you know, in a couple of years. Um, And I was like, why on earth did the Republicans not care about this? And finally, I thought to myself, the Democrats don't care because they they want to keep doing it. Right. This is their plan. The rhino establishment Republicans don't care because this supports Trump. Anything that vindicates or supports Trump, they are against. So the last thing they want to do, and they don't care if that means that we're going to lose every election from now to eternity because of the ballot harvesting. It's not losing the election, but it is losing control of one of the two parties, as long as they control one of the parties, uh, no matter how badly you do in the elections, um, you're always going to have to be dealt with and you can always be given crumbs by the Democrats. 
And in Colorado, that's what the Republicans do. They search endlessly out for crumbs. Um, well, and so that's, I mean, but I think that's got to be the only explanation, right? Why? Because if, if you watch this documentary, and again, and we can get into Tina Peters, they call people like that, they would call us election deniers. And, and you, you can't deny this information. And yet nobody, I mean, the AP just dismisses it and they just make up why it's not right. I mean, they're just lying about that. But everybody else from really Fox News, I mean, it's astonishing that Tucker Carlson show said they could have Catherine Engelbrecht on to talk about it, but couldn't mention the documentary, which right. is weird. Um, you haven't heard. Except if you know where Fox really comes from. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I, well, um, yeah. I mean, you got to wonder what kind of battle was that with Tucker Carlson? Right. You know, you don't know, was he a good guy willing to say, you know, say, okay, look, I'll make whatever promises I need. Do I want to get this information out? But but why would the Republican Party den- uh, just deny, they're the deniers, right? Denying that there's anything going on when there's clearly stuff going on. And and it's got to be just because if it helps Trump or if it vindicates Trump, if it vindicates Trump supporters, they are opposed to it. And if that puts them on the same side as the Democrats, they're OK with that. Like what? Sending 40 billion dollars to Ukraine more than even they ask. Like, let's just send you another. Oh, I don't mean to keep going. Another seven billion. Add it again. Yeah. Another seven billion dollars. I mean, pushing, shoving. Yeah. No one is saying, you know, we didn't have we can't have baby formula. Oh, as an aside, I saw a really funny tweet. They saw somebody have a picture of this baby in camouflage saying babies are disguising themselves as Ukrainians in order <laughs> to get baby formula sent to them <laughs> and money. But I mean, do you think that's why? Because I, from what you said, and I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but everybody that we have heard from or has talked about this or commented on it says that the, the 2000 mules is even more powerful than you would think that it's. Yes. And, and, and it's more provable than anything. Right. I was always afraid that you say, well, you'll never know. They have every person of those 2,000 mules, who they are, where they live. Um, anybody, any DA, U.S. attorney, uh, district attorney uh, could easily take that, get a grand jury and start hauling in. Uh, well, ask the, them. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that's what you want to do on the road. Well, but I mean, um, that's where AP's thing falls apart. It's like, well, it could just be coincident. So if I'm an investigator, you'd be like, I mean, look what they've done to Donald Trump. Look what they're doing with January yeah. 6th, right? Yeah. People could say, well, it's just a coincidence that I was, my cell phone thing was at the state capitol. I wasn't anywhere near. No, they put him in jail for over a year on misdemeanor charges, right? But the AP, it's, it's I mean, their whole argument falls apart. It's like, maybe. I doubt it, but maybe. But let's go ask the person, like you said, convene a grand jury, yeah. drag the people in and say, what are you doing? Um, and if, if you do, and they say, well, OK, I got paid. And they say, who buy? And, you know, you just work up the chain. It's obvious they're not interested in that. And it's interesting, you know, I think we brought out in Michigan, right. um, like Colorado, they had an assembly, uh, although theirs was the final stage of, a, of the nominating process, where attorney general and a uh, secretary of state candidates were Trump candidates. Um, and there's a big article in Gateway about everybody in the Republican Party um, establishment is freezing them out. They won't. They're making sure none of their donors give them any money. Other other elected officials not call them all the way through. And they had a beautiful line. I don't, I'm not sure I have it up here, but it's what we've said in Colorado. They say um, unity, but they only mean unity um, where it's one of their candidates gets. Um, gets elected, and if it's not or nominated, it's not, then they cut you off totally. And that's what Dick Wadhams does. I mean, Dick Wadhams right. said, you know, our party's over if these 
Whose party? Election what, deniers. What party, you know? Right. Well, and again, and it's election deniers because this just drives me crazy. They're calling him. You got to say to the quietums, did you watch this? Just watch 2000 Mules. And you you point out where well, we're missing something, right? You point out what the denial is all about. And here's some of the comments um, from Leo, Julie, straight, correct on as long as it's against Trump. And then he has an idea since Stephen Colbert is sick again with COVID. Maybe they could run 2000 Mules during his slot. And then Dr. Don on the baby formula had an issue with the FDA recalling it. And when the U.S. went to not keeping or making back stock, it ran out waiting for the FDA to approve. It's been three months. Yeah, that's a whole mess. And that's a whole other, you know, kind of side thing. But we wanted to talk a little bit about it is interesting because you've been kind of on this, the civil war. It's not just in Colorado. It's, no, it's uh, pointing out Michigan, pointing out in, in West Virginia, the, the, they had the election last night and Trump won one and lost one, but he won the more important one and won in West Virginia between two Republicans that, that they had. West Virginia lost one of its seats. So two Republicans had to face it off to be the congressional one from the uh, northern part of the state. Um, the uh, establishment guy named McKinley had the support of just about every establishment wing could be the uh, the West Virginia Chamber of Commerce, U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Uh, they had the governor, who's a Republican. They had the Council of Industry. They had the Oil and Gas Industry Association. I mean, just go down the list of every major statewide organization. All were was were behind. In addition. Mansion, the Democratic senator, cut a 30-second ad for McKinley. Yeah. Um, well, he didn't know. Maybe it'd be good. Um, and and so he had support of every politician, everyone but Trump uh, and Trump's nomination. But, you know, it's really a falsity to say that Trump's nomination got him in. What, what it was uh, Trump's underwriting reason, because this guy had taken one of the 13 Republicans out of 200 or so, um, had voted for the infrastructure bill that allowed yeah. um, Biden to, you know, destroy the economy, out, destroy the economy, <laughs> increase inflation, everything else. And this whole thing says, I voted for Virginia, you know, hell with the country, hell with everything else. Um, and in the end, um, the, the grassroots guy, I'm not sure he's grassroots, but pro Trump guy, Mooney. Uh, one by 20 points. I mean, 20 yeah. points. That's, That's like massive. a lot. Right. That's well, massive I think people- when you have everything on one side and just the logic and Trump's uh, support on the other. I think people are, and, and I think the economy has a lot to do with this and the, you know, the horrible economy is I think people are sick of the establishment, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, right? And the people in power. And, and as we said, you know, they just want power, so they don't care. And, you know, you look at Ukraine, right? I don't think, if you were to ask American people, it's like, do we support Ukraine? Okay, yeah, I, I stand with Ukraine. But should we be sending $40 billion to Ukraine? I mean, because it's only well, been 10 pension. weeks. I mean, how many billion? I mean, that that is to go to the pensions and the salaries. And <laughs> yeah. and here's 10% for the big guy. And, and, um, and since we've sent Ukraine so much equipment, what, in 10 weeks that we don't even have enough equipment of our own. I mean, people get, at least I hope people get, that there are some people who benefit from this $40 billion that Mitch McConnell pushed to it equally with the Democrats and Joe Biden, right? That it goes to the military industrial complex. Those people donate to campaigns. They, uh, you know, help people like Mitch McConnell stay in power. So they're happy to send them $40 billion. Well, only 87 Republicans in the House, I assume it was all Republicans, maybe it was an odd Democratic one or two voted against it. I and mean, that shows you the uniparty thing, just, you know, the, the weapons industry it had, was, was really feeling bad after Afghan and that had been their milk cow for, for 20 years. And now all of a sudden that was gone. 
Um, they weren't in Iraq. And so this this is a godsend. Oh, no, it's a, well, and how long is it going to keep up, right? It doesn't hopefully, have doesn't, the appearance. I mean, you got the feeling that the, the Biden administration and the Republicans, the swamp Republicans, be like, this should go. I mean, this could be another Afghanistan, Vietnam, or we can just keep sending stuff over there and money over there forever. I mean, to heck with the United States economy, to heck with, yeah. you know, they're talking about in Colorado, it's going to be on the ballot, possibly, which I think is a bad idea, but giving all Colorado kids free school lunches, right? Okay. So they're asking voters to do that. It's like, wait a minute, if we can spend send $40 billion to um, Ukraine, right, to help with their pensions and feed their kids, maybe we could feed our own kids. I, I mean, it's just ridiculous. But again, you got to look at who benefits, not the American people, but some of these, the, the, the lobbyists and the consultants and the military, again, the military industrial complex. And there's no party against this. Uniparty, right. the only one against it is whatever remains of, of the Trump ones. And so- you know, the, the Pennsylvania people say, we don't like Oz. Well, Oz is not perfect, uh, but the other guy is worse and he won't support election integrity. And the third one's a woman who can't win statewide. Um, so it's, it's you know, I, the more I look into Trump's endorsements, they're not as quite as as um, just whimsical. Whimsical as you would think. Okay, and this is from Charlene. Intellectual dishonesty in the part of the rhinos. McConnell and Graham deep into Ukraine, hoping we won't notice exactly. Um, And she says, this is true, Charlene. Ukraine might be our 51st state. Might as well be. Um, um, And then Dr. Donna, how many U.S. citizens are now struggling and sending money where for what? Well, exactly. And, you know, Biden basically has zero plans to deal with inflation. I suspect because he really can't. I mean, things have taken on a life of their own now. I think gasoline, diesel reached the highest point yet again. So that's going to result in higher grocery prices. I mean, consumer price index, they're trying to spin it. It wasn't as bad. It was worse than they thought, but it wasn't as bad as last month. But that was before there was this brief period in April where gas prices went down a little bit. So that's what helped. But now they're up higher than ever before. So I don't, you know, but so he has no plan to deal with all of that. But hey, we can keep sending money to Ukraine. And you notice how dangerous can it be there, right? What is the deal? So you've got Nancy Pelosi, who's, you know, visits. Warrior combat woman. Yeah, you two is doing concerts from there. Everybody in their mother, you know, Chuck and I are going to go visit Zelensky and we'll take a group of our loyal listeners with yes, us too. Yes, yes. I mean, it's like everybody and their mother is visiting Zelensky, right? Right, right, right. And it'd be, it'd be fun. So we'll, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll do sign that. up on our website. <laughs> what else would we want to talk about today? Um, oh, the whole two, two things kind of local Colorado. It's the last day of the legislative session. Um, and if you read some of the, even um, the, like the Colorado Sun, Colorado Politics, it all it's doing is attacking Republicans like Dave Williams, Stephanie Luck, Ron Hanks, Patrick Neville for, for holding lengthy debates to try to prevent the Democrats from passing policy. <laughs> they say that Republicans are focusing on obstructionism oh, and no. not policymaking. Oh, no. Yeah, policies like, you know, you can't talk in your cell phone while you're driving. Uh, I mean, you know, that like, all kinds of, you know, unionizing all kinds of government workers. I mean, all of it, you know, fentanyl, that's even though we have high, you know, skyrocketing fentanyl deaths, the Democrats want to water it down and make it only a crime for if you have not a crime, if you have to have a little teeny bit enough to kill people. But I mean, all of these terrible policies. And I say, thank God for people like Dave Williams and Ron Hanks. What do you mean you have an opposition? They don't just go as long as, you know, you pay my uncle some money, I'll vote for it. I mean, it's it's and and you've got the. The leadership in the Republican Party now are just total rhinos. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Ken Buck, our former chairman, I mean, he, he couldn't, he got, 
he got 38% of the assembly vote, even the guy just nominated from the floor. I well, mean. and here's the thing, you know, that the Republicans point out, and I'll give you, McCain did give him, I mean, he did point this out too. He's not being a total squish. A total on, squish. Well, at least on this, the last day of the mm-hmm. legislature, but he's like saying, Hey, uh, Democrats, you control the calendar, right? You're the ones who late wait. Cause I guess the person who's in charge of the Democrat calendar is working from home in Pueblo. Mm-hmm. So we've seen how Run that harder. goes. Working hard. Yeah. She's got these frantic calls and she's like walking her dog. No, I don't know that, that but, but I, I mean, back she'll be now. back and she's, you know, she's got to take her Let's nap break. and do her yoga. Um, but I mean, they they're the ones in control. And and even the Republicans are saying, hey, it's not our fault that the of Democrats had these fault. crucial bills that they waited till the last second to try to get through. Because and they're saying, well, maybe we could have a special session. And then they say that every year. And um, and session. so so this Colorado son was doing all of these terrible bills that oh, had no, been killed no, and had no, to give up no, because no. of those obstructionist Republicans. So. Wow. You know, again, I think the Republicans, we've got to fight fire with fire, so to speak. And if the Democrats are going to do this. Well, it, it's unequal fire, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, and, and here's and the other thing, too, that happened today, I wanted to talk about a lot of kind of local stuff. So Tina Peters, election denier, um, a judge ruled that the duly elected clerk and recorder of Mesa County um, is not going to be able to run um, the primary election, Republican primary election, both primary elections in June or the general election, because she's been, well, they didn't even really say why she's been charged with these bogus crimes, right? It's just, uh, they keep saying well, seven, normally she stuff. wouldn't be able to do the general because she's in the general or maybe in the general, uh, but they don't care. I mean, yeah. and once again, as we faced, as we faced with, with um, our open primary one and where we got a democratic judge, Kane, uh, Steve Williams, I tried to advise Steve, said, well, you know, Chuck, honestly, I want to, want to know because what do you think of my chances of winning? And, and I said, well, uh, technically, if you can prove that it's your nickname, you would appear to fit under, but you'll be in front of a Democratic judge because there are no judges. Yeah. They're not Republicans. So the, the Republicans are only senior status. I think they don't think there are any active judges left. So no matter where you go, kind of a judge, a Democratic judge, and the judiciary is just as corrupt and just as, as uh, tainted as any other. Well, we saw that with Dave, let's go Brandon Williams, yeah. right? He wanted yeah. to use a nickname. And the judge, well, he did prove it was a nickname. And the law does say he should be able to use it. But I'm not going to let him. We're just going to let Jenna Griswold do this. Here's some of the comments. Uh, back to the free lunch thing um, from Steve. Don, uh, Steve and Don, Donna, every politician wants a free lunch. Mm-hmm. And they're all on the government. Um, did and owned by special interests. Um, and then somebody, I forget where, oh, Charlene, this is true. The rhinos have imprisoned us. We have to break out. Um, who ruled what with Tina? That was a federal a, a judge. I'm not sure what judge. Um, I think I yeah, Jenna Griswold, Charlene, was was suing to prevent uh, Tina Peters from running the election. And the judge agreed with her. Now, keep in mind, Tina Peters was elected by the people of Mesa County. So who is Jenna Griswold? Well, those stupid people in Mesa County, right? Well, when Williams did. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like if the people of Mesa County didn't want Tina Peters to be running their election, they could recall her. They could have not voted for her. They have all kinds of options. But Jenna Griswold asking a judge to just step in and say, no, she can't do it. And do when Williams, who's a rhino from El Paso. Right. And on the, on the lunch, I'm going to just weigh in on the free lunch thing, right? So what what happened is for the past, well, first of all, for the past COVID thing, the kids were in and out of school so much that I'm not so sure how much difference it made. But 
um, for the past year, the kids have been getting free lunch at school. Okay. Now Rev um, gets, cause he doesn't, he likes their lunches. Right. <clears throat> um, and it's really cheap. It, I forget how much it is, but we pay, but if you qualify, you can get a free lunch. So any, there are no kids going right. There are no kids if who are ever your, going hungry. Parents are registered Democrats. You get the free lunch. <laughs> you get the free lunch. No, I mean, no kids are going hungry. And, and there has been a plenty of free lunch programs, including free lunch programs that last for the summer for the kids who are on the free lunch. Yay. Right, free, um, free, free. But so the Democrats, though, want to basically limit the amount of deductions. They call it that rich people, but it's people making a, a couple making three hundred thousand dollars. Now that's doing okay, but that's not what I would call rich. That's we're not in Elon Musk territory. So they want to limit their deductions, Yay. and then take. I'm not sure how this works, but take the money from that and continue have Colorado continue paying um, for free lunches. Free. Now that sounds it's the kind of thing that sounds good, but again, no, it doesn't sound well. Good. Yeah, number one, that gives them again more control over what the kids eat, right, mm-hmm. and what they're going to feed them. I mean, hopefully Michelle Obama won't get in there very much, but <laughs> I, I mean, she has to test it. It's one of those stupid things that they put on the ballot. And I got to wonder, because the Democrats are sneaky about this, if they think that that might drive people to the ballot, things like that. They don't drive people to the ballot. They rigged the ballot well, already. They don't need to do that. <laughs> just, you keep on thinking. And that was another good thing about 2000 Mules. They said, they said Republicans worry about the campaign. They worry about, you know, standing on the bridge, waving signs and, and having hula hoops and how to move the hula hoops when you're watching, walking down the parade and everything else. The, the the Democrats worry about the process of voting. And so they go to the old age homes and they pay off or they get activists to fill in all the ballots. They, they don't sit on Carol, top of they they bridges waiting They don't worry about enthusiasm, no. And they're all paid. I mean, the... the um, 2000 mules people pointed out that a lot of the mules that they saw also participated in Antifa riots and right. things like that. So, I mean, a lot of coincidences there. Um, but anyway, back to the school lunch. I will, for one, if they put on the ballot, which it looks like they're going to be voting no on that. Any kid, who cares how you any, vote? any kid. Well, all right. <laughs> yeah. All the, any kid who needs a free lunch in Colorado has a free lunch and the rest of us can afford the minimal cost for the lunches there. Uh, and it's just another one. They just want to get you more and more and more dependent on the government. So now the government is feeding your kid. Meanwhile, of course, unless it's a baby, right? If it's a baby, you can't get baby formula. But if it's, and you know, there's some scam involved in this. There's probably some, the people who sell the food to the schools for the school lunches, you know, you just know that somewhere somebody's getting a kickback there. (laughs) These people are like, yeah, we need that on the ballot. So we have every kid in the school eating the free lunch, right? And we'll get them a little bit of fentanyl just to get them used to the stuff. I mean, yeah, exactly. And and Rev points out the the supply chain crisis. The ice cream has not been very good at the school lunch. So (laughs) unfortunately, Michelle Obama does not seem to have intervened in his school. She'll be there soon. that's going to wrap it up for us today. Remember, you can get all of our podcast links. To, we're on everything. We're on Substack, Rumble, iHeart, um, Apple, iTunes, Google, Alexa. And we've been banned from the rest. So. Yeah, we're on everything that we haven't been banned on. So, well, you can and get- we're going to have Ron Hanks, hopefully. The session's over. So hope to have him on Friday and we can find out what great support he's getting from the Republican And another party. guest too, Robert Spencer. He's ahead yeah. of Jihad Watch, but he's been doing a lot of great writing yeah. in PG, uh, PJ Media. You will be surprised when you think about what is the number one, the leading cause of death in America. 
You might think, oh, heart disease, cancer, cancer. gun, whatever, right? No, according to the head of the FDA, this is for real. This is not a joke. The number one cause of death in America is disinformation, misinformation, misinformation. misinformation. And so we're going to be talking with Robert Spencer. He has a great, I mean, who knew? Who Who knew? knew? So Robert Spencer is going to be talking about that. The AP is working on it. So we'll be better off. All right, everybody have a great day and we'll see you on party Friday.